0: I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 verses 43 through 49. Not a terribly long passage today, but I believe a very powerful one. One that hopefully will change your life. This morning's message is a continuation in a series of what is often called the Sermon on the Mount, but that's not really helpful to us, I don't think, at least. Uh, Maybe it is to you. For instance, as you open your Bible and you'll see little section headings about fruit and foundations (laughs) or houses... I'm like, I need something more than that, right? I need some real understanding and simple application of what the Bible says. And I believe as Jesus, years ago, about 2,000 years ago, sitting above the Sea of Galilee, looking down, uh, he is explaining, what does faith look like? Not does, what does church attendance look like? Not does, what does it look like to go on a mission trip? But what does faith? every single day of your life look like? What does faith look like on Monday, on Tuesday, at work, at school, at home, in retirement, in college, wherever you're at? And let me see if I can simply give you an illustration before we begin. I have a good friend here who has a son who is a top-notch chef, one of the finest chefs in the country, perhaps even the world. And I get to hear stories about him and getting to eat the chef's food And oftentimes, if you can picture this in your mind, we approach Christianity as if we're attempting to live as chefs. Yet, when we really think about it, instead of living as a chef, we often approach our chefness, if you will, as if I'm going to become a chef and I'm going to live as a chef. And we equate that with going to a restaurant and eating fine food oh, yes, maybe once in a while we'll, we'll go in the back of the kitchen and offer to help out a little bit, clean up some dishes and cut up some veggies or something. But what we are really doing is just sitting there and enjoying the fruit of the chef. And that's kind of how Christianity was presented to me as I grew up. It was all about going to church. And I would experience the fruit and the blessings of other people who were walking with Christ And as I would listen to them and as I'd watch their lives, they were just, it was something different. And I got to experience that once a week. But when I would go home and when I would go to school, it it was different. And so what I kept doing is I tried to attend church more. I tried to attend retreats and summer camps. And you know what I'm talking about if you've ever been on those, where you get to truly focus On God during those times and it seemed like that was the answer but the real question is simply this how do we take that good food and all of a sudden not just enjoy it but be the individual who is producing it who is living as a chef who is just dramatically changed where people are coming to us and they're seeing the food and and the good stuff that we're producing. And that's what we're talking about today. Good fruits. How do we produce that? What does it look like? And the self-examination, and then the chairs before you on those little sticky notes, I believe it's a simple tool, and I'm, I'm hopefully going to explain what that tool is, but how you utilize that to radically change your life. A sticky note of all things. So let's jump into the text. We're going to begin in verse 43. And it says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit. No kidding, right? (laughs) That's, That's not rocket science. Why is Jesus talking about this? Well, let's continue. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. We can figure that one out. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure... Of his heart produces good, and the evil person now the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So it starts out really simple with a simple tree analogy, and sometimes Jesus gets so simple maybe we get bored or I'm like duh I get that, but then it gets a little complicated there, and it gets very very personal, and we'll look at that a little closer. And he continues, there isn't a a division in the Greek here. Ignore the chapter heading or the, the section heading there. He continues explaining what he's talking about in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Wow. It just gets really personal. Steps on some toes there. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell And the ruin of that house was great. Again, very simple illustration. So simple that maybe we can just simply read past them in a devotion or even today sitting there like, Scott, I don't need you to explain that to me. I understand it. Well, let's just see how well we understand it. There are a couple key things here. Let's begin back in verse 43. It says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. This week I had a chance to spend time with some very good friends and looking at uh, their orchard, I toured through it, and certain trees had uh, not done well with the late frost. And there were some trees, especially the apple trees this time of the year, that were just loaded with fruit. Apples all over them. Like, I don't, who likes that many apples, right? And then the tree next to it, my favorite, the cherry tree, pretty much had nothing on it. I'm like, why couldn't the cherry tree have been saved and we get rid of the apples? But nonetheless, one thing struck me is this. I'm looking at a cherry tree with no fruit, an apple tree with all kinds of apples that I don't really like, but I don't see just random trees in the orchard. And as I look out in the woods and the mountains at his house, I don't see fruit trees out on the mountains. What I discovered was fruit trees or claims of fruit trees tend to gather together. That's, that's how the individual who plants the orchard, they plant them all together. You see, there's this surprising reality. Jesus is talking to people who claim to be disciples. Just as we're a church here today, and most people here would claim to be Christians. And so we're not dealing with the world issues or out there, maybe your neighbors or the community or the nation as a whole, What we're doing is we're looking inside here and saying, some are producing fruit, some are not. It gets a a lot more personal at that point. And you've got to ask yourself this one question, and we have several questions to ask, is number one, are you a good tree or a bad tree? Good trees produce good fruit, bad trees produce bad fruit. If you had to categorize yourself this morning, just gut feeling at this point in time, are you a good tree or are you a bad tree? The simple is simple, but the application is profound. He continues and he says, for each tree is known by its fruit. Not by its description, not by its location, Not by what ranch it's on or orchard that it's in, but by its fruit. You see, a lot of people come to church and think that makes them a Christian. Or their family went to church and they think that makes them a Christian. Jesus says you're you're known by your fruit, not by the church that you attend. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor grapes, from a bramble bush. Once again, the, the stark contrast from wild brambles to a individual who has planted an orchard in and, and a garden, God being the gardener and planting. This is a work done by God. He has created in you a new heart if you have trusted Him in Him as Lord and Savior. But this process of change, this process of lordship This is what it looks like. This is what faith looks like. The brambles are outside the orchard. The fig trees are in it. Verse 43, it says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart. And this is one of the biggest issues that I've dealt with as a pastor in 13 years. And we'll talk about how difficult this is and why it's difficult, because it might not seem that way, The good person of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the very first question, and this is a deep theological question, believe it or not, is what is a heart? What is a heart? Are we talking about the beating muscle in your body? No, we're not talking about that. Most people read that scripture, and we know that. Just like if you were talking to maybe a loved one, and you say, I love you with all my heart, they know you're not talking about the muscle in your chest. So what is it? Well, there are basically two approaches. There are a lot more, but two primary ones. In Southern Baptist life, if you've been in a Southern Baptist church, you have probably been taught what is called a tripartite division of mankind. That's a big word, right? Well, now I get your attention. We've moved from fruit trees to bad trees, and we're like, what more the world is tripartite? Well, it just means this. Southern Baptists over uh, the years have interpreted the scriptures as that man, God created man in three parts, body, physical body, soul, and spirit. The problem with that, if you know your Bible at all, there's a lot more that's going on there, right? You have a mind, you have a will, you have conscience, you even have strength that is described as something other than just simply your physical strength. And then in the Old Testament, there are Hebrew words that aren't even translated literally, but they talk about your bowels or your kidneys or your throat. Much like we would say, if you're making a hard decision, you you would say, I'm gonna go with my gut, right? So I would actually reject the tripartite view because it oversimplifies what Scripture says. And it tries to do that in a helpful way, but I believe ultimately it's not very helpful because it's confusing. The second view that is predominant is the one I would hold to, and it's called a bipartite or two-part, that you are two parts, essentially. There is the physical you, which means The physical you, imagine that. But notice this, when we talk about our physical selves, we say my foot, my hand, my eyes, my ears, right? They are all independent, they're individual, but they're all connected. So we talk about them individually, but they're a part of one single whole. I believe that's the case that the Bible presents of us as God's creation. That there is the physical aspect of us but there is the spiritual or immaterial aspect of us. And as a part of that, you have the soul, the mind, uh, the heart, the will, um, all these different things. And it does speak of those as individual, but I believe they're all interconnected. For example, I'm just going to share with you just a few of the many verses that speak of the heart. And so when we think of heart, One of the key aspects in that description of us inwardly is it has to do with feelings, desires, right? When you say, I love you with all my heart, hopefully that means something good, right? It doesn't mean just complete (laughs) indifference. Like, I love you with all my pinky. And someone would be like, What does that mean, (laughs) right? You're trying to describe something. But notice what Luke, Hebrews, and Matthew describe the heart as. Luke, that we've already covered earlier in our series on Luke. Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. This is Simon speaking to Mary, Jesus' mother. And it says, And Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And notice chapter 2, verse 35 of Luke. And it says, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So we're talking about the soul. So that thoughts... All right. So all of a sudden, soul and thoughts are attributed together. And most of the time, we attribute thoughts to mind. But here it's being attributed to soul so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So we have soul, thoughts, and hearts all combined together. That's kind of a radically different perspective than maybe what you hold Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We're talking about hiding God's word in our heart here, right? It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Matthew 15, 19 says this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness and slander. And notice this. All that long list of stuff that I just read, there is a feeling component to it. Like, you're not completely indifferent about murder, right? No one's like, yeah, I was picking up the laundry, murdered someone on the way home, then I mowed the lawn. You're not completely indifferent about that, right? So it's these evil intentions and thoughts. So here's where we're driving at. When Jesus, going back to our focal verses, says this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The question that you must ask is, what does your heart treasure? What have you built up in your hearts? What do you love? And out of that, your thoughts and your speech will proceed. So if we just simply looked at your heart and all of God's word that you have treasured up in there, would you be bankrupt or would you be a billionaire? It's a tough call. As you look around in this room and you're trying to figure out who's a good tree and who's a bad tree, would we be poor paupers or it would be a kind of a health and wealth gospel church. But we're wealthy with God's word hidden in our hearts, right? We preach it, we talk about it, we say amen. But do we do it? Jesus gets very, very pointed there in just a moment. But I want to caution you because we can deceive ourselves. I want you to think about a few things that are not treasuring up God's word and hearing it flow from the heart. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says in verse 45, do not mistake silence for godly speech. They are different. If you're around someone who's really quiet, a lot of people will mistake that quietness for a lot of things. Maybe it's aloofness. Maybe it's godliness. No, silence is silence. It is not godly speech. It is not good fruit. It's it's neither friendliness another one if you walked in here today and someone was friendly to you and you were chatting and they were smiling well that's friendliness hopefully that's even love but that is not godly speech do not confuse the two and just in your mind think about it like this have you ever been around someone that was just saved They're full of joy. They're talking about Jesus like he's their best friend, like he's standing next to you. They're talking about sin, forgiveness, and it it might make you a little uncomfortable. Like, this guy's a little bit of a Jesus freak. I don't want to put him around my people at work or my friends, right? Let's let him calm down and cool off. Contrast that guy with maybe where your heart is today, where you're more talking about maybe Theology and right and wrong and critiquing pastors and music and churches. Do not confuse worldly com- conversations with godly speech. And finally, do not confuse religious knowledge or theology with godly speech. People can argue theology all day long and not have a single word of God's word hidden in their heart that they're actively doing, not one. As a matter of fact, they may be very well be doing the opposite of that. Jesus simply calls people out here. Everyone obviously wants to be a, a, a good fruit tree, right? And hopefully you're not the thorn bush. So if you're looking around here today and you're like, hmm, I'm a good tree. I've produced some fruit. Maybe not as much as everyone else. Maybe not as much as that worship team. They they look so good up there, but I've got at least a little fruit or maybe like one fruit that's a, kind of a few days old. It might be going rotten a little bit, but you can kind of cut that piece off and save it. Like you're, you're looking for any sort of fruit in your life at all because you're like, oh, I don't want the pastor talking about me today. I'm not. Jesus is. But he just simply says, what do you call me, Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you. He cuts it all out. He doesn't go after your theology. He doesn't go after your church attendance, the amount of money that you're giving. He just simply says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? He's very practical. Are you doing what God tells us to do? You can't do what you do not know. You cannot do what you do not know. You end up, if you don't know something, end up trying to fake it and put it on cruise control. Right? If, if you're around a bunch of people who are like workout freaks and buffs, and you're standing there in the back of your mind you're like, I haven't seen a gym in 10 years. You're just sitting there smiling, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure working out's good. I plan on running a marathon. That's one of my goals. You know that? That's on my bucket list to do. And then they start pressing on you like, oh, well, are you, are you running at least a quarter mile, a mile? And you're like, well, maybe tomorrow. We can talk a good game. And, and we can fit into the crowd. And guess what? Because most people are kind of in that spot, they're not going to call you out. Like today, no one's going to ask you like, what kind of fruit are you producing? But I'm going to challenge them to do that. I'm going to challenge them to do this and simply this. As far as the unique culture of Blue Mountain Baptist Church and sometimes religious language and phrases kind of come into Christianity and they're really messed up. Oftentimes they they take us down the wrong path of like, is God speaking to you today and open doors and all sorts of stuff we talked about. But I'm going to challenge you to talk to one another and just simply say, What's your sticky note this week? I've I've handed out sticky note pads. If you've ever wondered what $100 worth of sticky notes looks like, look around. They're expensive. But imagine this. Because I've tried to make this more complicated in the past. I've literally produced custom day planners that allowed you to focus on your priorities and scripture to hide in your heart. But I kind of missed the mark a little bit. And let me explain. You see, oftentimes when we think about scripture, there are a couple things that come up, but one of them is we immediately attribute hiding God's word in our hearts to memorization. And you think, I'm terrible at memory. I've tried it. I can't do it. I've forgotten most of the verses that I have memorized. I'm not going to do it again. And that's not the point. You see, it just has to be in your heart. And if For instance, you drive by a car lot and you're looking at new cars that you want to purchase and you drive by and you see the brand new Ford Bronco that just came out. Well, you don't have to know a lot of details about it, but you have that image in your mind for that moment, so you're thinking about that brand new Ford Bronco. Well, with Scripture, memory, it's not about what you memorize. It's about what is in front of your face and you're meditating upon. Imagine this, if you took that sticky note that you have in your hands and you placed it somewhere where you're continually glancing at it, at work, at school, on the refrigerator, on your car dash, wherever you're at, and you're constantly going over God's Word, His promises for you all week, and you spend all week treasuring up God's promises, what would happen? Your speech your actions, your attitudes, your thoughts, your hopes would be reflective of that. Can you imagine doing that all week? Now look down at your sticky notepad that I gave you. There are a lot of these on there. Imagine if you were to go through that whole pad with one note a week. Can I ask you this? And I want you to answer it just truthfully in your own heart. Have you ever spent, however many weeks that sticky note rep- pad represents, have you ever spent that portion of your life continually meditating upon the Word of God? Weeks on end. You just had it at your forefront. Not did you have a quiet time, did you read the Bible that day, and have you read all the way through the Bible? No. Are you truly meditating on God's promises so much so that it's at the forefront of your mind that you can do it? This sticky note, as silly as it is, can change your life because you can't do what you don't know. But you can do what you do know. And if what you know is hatred, anger, Strife, coldness, deadness, or just a feeling of being stuck, that's what you will do. And you will medicate it. You will do whatever you have to do in response. A sticky note will change your life. But here's the problem, and it comes back to this heart issue. It really does. Because I, I had some great conversations with some individuals this week. And I asked them about this really difficult thing that I've encountered as I've tried to teach it. And the interesting thing is, the scripture that we're about to read explains it. I didn't have to go to them. They said it, but this explains it. It says this in verse 48. Every, well, let's back up to verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. So here's what he's like. Verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, notice this, it's not if a flood arises, but when. If you're in the middle of trials, tribulations, or just a really dark spot in your life, well, welcome to life, because that will occur. It's not a matter of will it occur, but how will you respond? What will life be like in your world? It says, and when a flood arose, the string broke against that house. I bet you there are people in here today that feel like that right now. But the person who does God's word says, but and could not shake it, that stream could not shake it, because it had been well built. Notice it's a, it's a foundational Process. It's intentional. But the one who hears and does not do them, again, not the one who hears and agrees or says amen or writes a theology book or anything else. And again, I'm not bashing theology and I'm not bashing, bashing biblical discussion, but at the end of it, it's empty. You have to apply it according to Jesus. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on ground without a foundation. We have a few houses like that here in Baker City, right? Literal houses without foundations. They tried to sell me one when I moved here. I'm like, no, I'm not a construction guy, but I even know that's not a smart thing. Why? It says, when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So the questions that we had, are you a good tree or a bad tree? What is your heart, and where, what does it treasure, was the second question. Third was, do you have God's word in your heart so you can do it? The fourth question is simply this. What is it going to take before you hide God's word in your heart? Is it going to take this? Because as I was having those discussions with people, I asked them this. I go, I've known you for years and you've never spoken like this in a conversation with me. What did it take for you finally to hide God's word in your heart? And I'm hearing this joy in your life. And they said, Scott, well, it just took God breaking me. And I was like, well, I don't think I can really do that with people. <laughs> like, I don't know that I can go, like, that's not a thing, right? As I'm trying to make disciples, be disciples and make disciples, and I'm trying to, to make disciples, like, I can't break people. And here's the reality is, the question that you have to ask is, what's it going to take in God's life to break you? Because the challenge was this. When I was teaching people to try to hide God's word in their heart, the very first pushback that I got was, Scott, that's legalism. Or Scott, I can do that. I've memorized a thousand verses. I did it in, in, in Awanas when I was a kid and it hasn't helped me. And people have described themselves as rule followers or people pleasers or whatever the case. It's very common. If, if you're in that camp, you are not alone. Half this church and half the churches I've been in fall in that camp. Here's the thing. What they don't get as they're explaining that legalism and rule following is they're missing the heart They're missing the good treasure. It is how you view God's word will determine whether you hide it in your heart so you can do it. This gets back to the very definition or the understanding of the spiritual heart. It encompasses feelings. And sin, if you allow it to grow in your life, will lead to bitterness. It will lead to wrath. It will lead to a cold, dead heart where everyone sees on the outside all this good stuff and all the the trappings that you try to present to people. And they think your life is good, but inside you are just dead. You are numb and it's just nothing. And so when a preacher like me says, hide God's word in your heart, you immediately, if you're in that spot, reject it as legalism or I've done there, done that, been there, didn't work. And I'm telling you, the reason is there is no love. There is no desire. You have to first get that desire, and then it will be easy to take that sticky note and apply it in your life. And the question is, how do you get that love and desire? Well, either you can humble yourself before God and come back to the throne of grace, and realize what you've been given, the forgiveness and the grace that God has shown you and the love that He's poured out into your life. You can either acknowledge that and step back and examine who you really are in Christ, or you can continue down the road you're on or we're on. And when those floods break against your house, The ruin will be great. You might find yourself in prison. You might find yourself divorced. You might find yourself without any friends whatsoever. And you can look around and blame everyone else. Or you can say, hey, maybe it's my heart. Is there any fruit in my life? Or do I just really attend church well? and serve well, and know good theology. How low must you go before you come back to Jesus? Psalm 119.41, and I'll just leave you with these verses, says this, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Does that ring true to you at all? Do you hear that And does that sound like good treasure to you or does it sound like more preaching? Let me read it again. Psalm 119.41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Psalm 119.50. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Is that where you go in affliction, that your promise gives me life? Psalm one nineteen fifty seven 57 through 59 says this, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Does that sound legalistic? Does that sound like a guy who's just trying to follow rules? I said, the Lord is my portion. If, if your heart is not in a place where you genuinely love God, you either have never met him, And I would encourage you to do that today. Or you're in a spot that you've allowed yourself to get, whether it's circumstances not your own or other people or your own decisions where that's just not what you're feeling. I encourage you to use that sticky note right away. Don't find a rule to follow, but find a passage about who God is and His love. It says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. This is what faith looks like. Part four. Our hearts are filled with God's good treasure producing good. What does your sticky note say this week? Ask that of one another this week. What does your sticky note say this week? If they can't answer it, maybe they've got another system. Don't be too hard on them. But they know what you're talking about. If they still can't answer it, be an encouragement. Be a blessing. Encourage one another. Love one another. Build one another up. What does your sticky note say this week? Let's pray. Father, sometimes following you seems so complicated. If you read through the Bible, and maybe uh, we're just simple people, but we have so much going on in our life. Husbands, wives, children, finances, work, ministry. Help us to simplify it by just taking your word and meditating on it. Lord, move in our hearts, move in my heart. Give us the desire to hear from you, truly hear from you, not something made up in our mind, but your promises. Help us to love you as you love us. As we try to be good parents and raise children in love, help us to see ourselves as children. Help us to see you not as a rule giver, but as a father. Who genuinely loves us and wants to know us and wants us to dwell in his presence. Lord, we love you. Please forgive us where we failed you and sinned against you and others. Help us now, as we close and just this time together, to truly sing out and to worship you and to praise you with feelings. Prick our hearts if if our hearts have grown calloused and, and cold. Help us to truly sing these words that we're about to sing with true, genuine love. Amen.